Chapter 18 And so there were flapjacks again for breakfast, but no one seemed to mind. Didn't get a bite, eh? said May. No, said Miles, nothing we wanted to keep. That was true, anyway, and though Winnie blushed as he said it, she was grateful that he didn't explain. Never mind, said May. You're likely out of practice. Tomorrow, maybe. Sure, said Miles, tomorrow. But it was the thought of seeing Jessie again that kept Winnie's stomach fluttering, and at last he came down from the loft, yawning and rosy, rubbing his curls, just as May was piling the plates with flapjacks. Well, slug a bed, she said to him fondly. You come near to missing breakfast. Miles and Winnie been up for hours, out fishing and back already. Oh, said Jessie, his eyes on Miles. Where's the fish, then? How come we got nothing but flapjacks? No luck, said May. They wasn't biting for some reason. Reason is Miles don't know how to fish, said Jessie. He grinned at Winnie, and she lowered her eyes, her heart thumping. Don't matter, said May. We got plenty without. Come and get your plates, everybody. They sat about in the parlor as they had the night before. The ceiling swam with bright reflections, and the sunlight streamed across the dusty, chip-strewn floor. May surveyed it all and sighed contentedly. Now, this is real nice, she said, her fork poised above her plate. Everyone sitting down together and having Winnie here. Why, it's just like a party. That's the truth, said Jessie, and Miles both together, and Winnie felt a rush of happiness. Still, we've got things to discuss, Tuck reminded them. There's the business of the horse getting stolen. we got to get Winnie home where she belongs. How are we going to do that without the horse? After breakfast, Tuck said May firmly. Don't spoil a good meal with a lot of talk. We'll get to it soon enough. So they were silent, eating, and this time Winnie licked the syrup from her fingers without pausing to think about it first. Her fears at last night's supper seemed silly to her now. Perhaps they were crazy, but they weren't criminals. She loved them. They belonged to her. Tuck said, How'd you sleep, child? And she answered, Just fine and wished for a fleeting moment that she could stay with them forever in that sunny, untidy little house by the pond, grow up with them, and perhaps, if it was true about the spring, then perhaps when she was seventeen. She glanced at Jessie, where he sat on the floor, his curly head bent over his plate. Then she looked at Miles, and then her eyes went to Tuck and lingered on his sad, creased face. It occurred to her that he was the dearest of them all, though she couldn't have explained why she felt that way. However, there wasn't time to wonder, for at that moment someone knocked at the door. It was such an alien sound, so sudden and surprising, that May dropped her fork, and everyone looked up, startled. "'Who's that?' said Tuck. "'I can't imagine,' whispered May. "'We ain't never had callers in all the years we've been here.' The knock came again. "'I'll go, Ma,' said Miles.' No, stay where you are, she said. I'll go. She put her plate down carefully on the floor and stood up, straightening her skirts. Then she went to the kitchen and opened the door. Winnie recognized the voice at once. It was a rich and pleasant voice, the man in the yellow suit, and he was saying, Good morning, Mrs. Tuck. It is Mrs. Tuck, isn't it? May I come in? <laughs> Chapter 19 The man in the yellow suit came into the sunlit parlor. He stood for a moment, looking around at them all, May and Miles and Jessie and Tuck, and Winnie, too. His face was without expression, but there was something unpleasant behind it that Winnie sensed at once, 
something that made her instantly suspicious. And yet his voice was mild when he said, "'You're safe now, Winifred. I've come to take you home.' "'We was going to bring her back directly ourselves,' said Tuck, standing up slowly. "'She ain't been in no danger.' "'You're Mr. Tuck, I suppose,' said the man in the yellow suit. "'I am,' said Tuck formally, his back straighter than usual. "'Well, you may as well sit down again. You too, Mrs. Tuck. I have a great deal to say and very little time for saying it.' May sat down on the edge of the rocker, and Tuck sat too, but his eyes were narrowed. Jessie said uneasily, "'Who in tarnation do you think you—' But Tuck interrupted, "'Hush, boy. Let him speak his peace.' "'That's wise,' said the man in the yellow suit. "'I'll be as brief as possible.' He took off his hat and laid it on the mantel, and then he stood tapping his foot on the littered hearth facing them. His face was smooth and empty. "'I was born west of here,' he began, "'and all the time I was growing up my grandmother told me stories. "'They were wild, unbelievable stories, but I believed them. "'They involved a dear friend of my grandmother's "'who married into a very odd family.' "'married the older of two sons, and they had two children. "'It was after the children were born that she began to see that the family was odd. "'This friend of my grandmother's, she lived with her husband for twenty years, "'and strange to say, he never got any older. "'She did, but he didn't, and neither did his mother or his father or his brother. "'People began to wonder about that family, "'and my grandmother's friend decided at last that they were witches or worse.' She left her husband and came with her children to live at my grandmother's house for a short while. Then she moved west. I don't know what became of her, but my mother still remembers playing with the children. They were all about the same age. There was a son and a daughter. Anna, whispered Miles. May burst out. You got no call to come and bring us pain. And Tuck added roughly. You got something to say. You better come to the point and say it. "'There, there, now,' said the man in the yellow suit. He spread his long white fingers in a soothing gesture. "'Hear me out. As I told you, I was fascinated by my grandmother's stories. People who never grew older. It was fantastic. It took possession of me. I decided to devote my life to finding out if it could be true, and if so, how and why.' I went to school, I went to a university, I studied philosophy, metaphysics, even a little medicine. None of it did me any good. Oh, there were ancient legends, but nothing more. I nearly gave it up. It began to seem ridiculous and a waste of time. I went home. My grandmother was very old by then. I took her a present one day, a music box, and when I gave it to her, it reminded her of something. The woman... The mother of the family that didn't grow old, she had a music box. May's hand went to the pocket of her skirt. Her mouth opened, and then she shut it again with a snap. That music box played a very particular tune. The man in the yellow suit went on. My grandmother's friend and her children. Anna, was that the daughter's name? They'd heard it so often that they knew it by heart. They'd heard it so often that they... Oh. That they, heard it, they knew it by heart. They taught it to my mother during the short time they lived in the house. We talked about it then, all those years afterward, my mother, my grandmother, and I. My mother was able to remember the melody finally. She taught it to me. That was nearly twenty years ago now, but I kept it in my head. It was a clue. The man in the yellow suit folded his arms and rocked a little. His voice was easy, almost friendly. During those twenty years, he said, I worked at other things. 
but I couldn't forget the tune or the family that didn't grow older. They haunted my dreams. So a few months ago, I left my home and I started out to look for them, following the route they were said to have taken when they left their farm. No one I asked along the way knew anything. No one had heard of them. No one recognized their name. But two evenings ago, I heard that music box. I heard that very tune, and it was coming from the Foster's Wood. And next morning, early, I saw the family at last, taking Winifred away. I followed, and I heard their story, every word. May's face drained of color. Her mouth hung open, and Tuck said hoarsely, "'What are you going to do?' The man in the yellow suit smiled. "'The Fosters have given me the wood,' he said, "'in exchange for bringing Winifred home. "'I was the only one who knew where she was, you see, "'so it was a trade. "'Yes, I followed you, Mrs. Tuck, "'and then I took your horse and went directly back.' "'The tension in the parlor was immense.' Winnie found that she could scarcely breathe. It was true, then. Or was the man who stood there crazy, too? "'Horse thief!' cried Tuck. "'Get to the point. What you going to do?' "'It's very simple,' said the man in the yellow suit. And as he said this, the smoothness of his face began to loosen a little. A faint flush crept up his neck, and the pitch of his voice lifted, became a fraction higher." Like all magnificent things, it's very simple. The wood and the spring belong to me now. He patted his breast pocket. I have a paper here, all signed and legal to prove it. I'm going to sell the water, you see. You can't do that, roared Tuck. You've got to be out of your mind. The man in the yellow suit frowned. But I'm not going to sell it to just anybody, he protested. Only to certain people, people who deserve it. "'and it will be very, very expensive. "'But who wouldn't give a fortune to live forever?' "'I wouldn't,' said Tuck grimly. "'Exactly,' said the man in the yellow suit. "'His eyes glowed. "'Ignorant people like you should never have the opportunity. "'It should be kept for certain others, and for me. "'However, since it's already too late to keep you out, "'you may as well join me in what I'm going to do. "'You can show me where the spring is and help me to advertise.' We'll set up demonstrations, you know, things that would be fatal to anybody else, but won't affect you in the least. I'll pay for your assistance, of course. It won't take long for the word to spread, and then you can go your way. Well, what do you say? Jesse said dully, Freaks. You want us to be freaks in a patent medicine show. The man in the yellow suit raised his eyebrows, and a nervous petulance came into his voice. "'Of course, if the idea doesn't appeal to you,' he said, blinking rapidly, "'you needn't be in on it. "'I can find the spring and manage just as well without you. "'But it seemed the gentlemanly thing to make the offer. "'After all,' he added, looking round at the cluttered room, "'it would mean you could afford to live like people again instead of pigs.' "'And that was when the tension burst. "'All four tucks sprang to their feet at once, "'while Winnie, very frightened, shrank back in her chair.' "'Tuck cried. "'You're a madman, a loony. "'You can't let no one know about that water. "'Don't you see what would happen?' "'I've given you your chance,' shrilled the man in the yellow suit, "'and you've refused it.' "'He seized Winnie roughly by the arm "'and dragged her up out of her chair. "'I'll take the child and be on about my business.' "'Tuck began to rave now, his face stretched with horror. "'Madman!' he shouted, and Miles and Jessie began to shout, too. They crowded after as the man in the yellow suit dragged Winnie through the kitchen to the door. "'No!' she was screaming, for now at last she hated him. "'I won't go with 
you. I won't. But he opened the door and pushed her out in front of him. His eyes were like blind fire points. His face was twisted. Then the shouting behind them stopped abruptly, and in the midst of the sudden silence came May's voice, flat and cold. You leave that child be, she said. Winnie stared. May was standing just outside the doorway. She held Tuck's long-forgotten shotgun by the barrel like a club. The man in the yellow suit smiled a ghastly smile. I can't think why you're so upset. Did you really believe you could keep that water for yourselves? Your selfishness is really quite extraordinary, and worse than that, you're stupid. You could have done what I'm about to do long ago. Now it's too late. Once Winifred drinks some of the water, she'll do just as well for my demonstrations. Even better. Children are much more appealing anyway. So you may as well relax. There's nothing you can do to stop me. But he was wrong. May lifted the shotgun. Behind her, Miles gasped, Ma, no! But May's face was dark red. Not Winnie, she said between clenched teeth. You ain't gonna do a thing like that to Winnie, and you ain't gonna give out the secret. Her strong arms swung the shotgun round her head like a wheel. The man in the yellow suit jerked away, but it was too late. With a dull cracking sound, the shot stock of the shotgun smashed into the back of his skull. He dropped like a tree, his face surprised, his eyes wide open. And at that very moment, riding through the pine trees, just in time to see it all, came the Tree Gap Constable.